Greetings to the brightest audience in the nation. We're going to talk about the Cleveland Browns. Thomas Jefferson, that's right. Anthony Fauci being mean to puppies. Are you kidding me? Stay tuned. It's all straight ahead. Welcome, welcome. I'm Doug McBurney sitting in for Bob Enyart here at Bob Enyart Live going out on KGOV online and uh, KLTT. The 50,000 watt blowtorch for the gospel right here in Denver, Colorado. Thank you for joining us. Did you see the Denver Broncos game last Thursday? Did you see it? I know I should have talked about this yesterday, but there was much more important things that I needed to get to. But... I wanted to make note that I watched the Denver Broncos play against the Cleveland Browns, and I believe that's the first time I have watched the Denver Broncos since they cut Tim Tebow. I don't believe I have watched one minute of a Denver Broncos game, but I was staying at a friend's house, and I was forced to watch the game because he was watching the game. And little did I know that what I was watching on TV as the Cleveland Browns humiliated and defeated the Denver Broncos, which I was quite satisfied to see. Actually, it wasn't a humiliating defeat. It was quite a challenging game for both teams. I didn't realize at the time that what I was witnessing on the TV between the the Cleveland Browns and the Denver Broncos would be a witness for the living God, the creator of the universe. That's right. And you may not have realized it either, but I'll tell you who did realize it was Dearness Johnson. Anybody recognize that name? No, nobody recognized that name until last Thursday. And now the Denver Broncos definitely recognize the name of Dearness Johnson. Dearness Johnson was working as a member of a fishing boat crew while he was interviewing and trying to make it into the NFL. And he even played in a short-lived football league. I'm not sure if I have the name. It was called the AAFL or something. AAF, the American Association of Football. I'm not even sure what it was. But the guy was just willing to do anything to try to play football. And so he got his girlfriend pregnant in college, which didn't help his career, because he married her and she had the baby. And so that's not good for a young man's football career, is to get married and have a baby in college. So things were difficult for Dearness early on because Dearness decided to do the right thing, the more difficult thing, and the thing that might end his dream of being an NFL player, he decided to marry the girl and keep the baby. And that doesn't make Dearness Johnson a great person. It just makes him a decent human being, that's all. It's not really noteworthy that he didn't kill the baby. That's a pretty low bar to think that someone's a good person just because they didn't murder a baby. So that doesn't make Dearness Johnson all that great of a person. But it is noteworthy and honorable what Dearness Johnson did when he made a bad decision and he executed bad behavior and that led to consequences. And instead of being a coward, he stood up like a man and he did the right thing. So anyway, he'd been trying to get into the NFL for a number of years. He finally got drafted. In 2018, 22 years old, never really got to play much because of the COVID situation. I I can't remember if the football season was canceled during COVID because I haven't paid attention to football season, but I'm assuming football was disrupted during COVID. And so he didn't get a chance to play. 
Well, on Thursday, the Cleveland Browns' first string running back was injured. And then their second string running back was injured. And then there, sitting on the bench, was Dearness Johnson, the third string running back. And he came off the bench, and he rushed for 146 yards and scored a touchdown and defeated the Denver Broncos. Did uh, Dearness Johnson. And I got a quote from Dearness. He said, to get your first start and to get 100 yards and to get your first touchdown, that ain't nothing but God. Unquote said Dearness Johnson. He said he wasn't sure how to celebrate when he scored his touchdown, but he knew who to thank. And he opened his mouth and he thanked God. And so I very much appreciate Dearness Johnson from last Thursday in the defeat of the Denver Broncos. I appreciate the fact that he contributed to the defeat of the Denver Broncos because you all know how I feel about the Denver Broncos. And I don't want to offend anyone out there because I know there's a lot of people who are Denver Broncos fans, but keep in mind it's just football. It's like dancing. It's really not that important. I know you're not going to get actually upset with me, all of you Denver Broncos fans, because you can just think about all the times the Broncos have humiliated and defeated the Cleveland Browns. There's a lot of that, right? But this past Thursday, well, that was Ernest Johnson's day. There's a great video on him, by the way. It's like a nine-minute video about the kid. And it's just an interesting story, that's all. It's a compelling and inspirational story. He loves God, so we appreciate that. So from the Cleveland Browns, we go to New York City. I know, like to go from Cleveland to New York, yuck. feel like you need a shower. Anyway, the New York City Public Deviance Commission has voted to remove the statue of Thomas Jefferson from the city council chambers. So the governing officials in New York are uncomfortable with the statue of Thomas Jefferson and they say it's because he was a slaveholder. That's what they say. We have to remove this statue because, well, I, I, do I have a quote from the, the Public Deviance Commission? I mean, they go by Public Design Commission. This is a committee of people controlled by Marxists who are tasked with eliminating American history. They're tasked with erasing American history so the Marxists can rewrite it. I mentioned yesterday on the show that I'm firmly convinced that a bunch of Marxist deviant sex perverts have seized the government. Not that that wasn't coming for a long time. It's just that they finally actually nakedly and publicly seized power. And so there they are now, and they're, and they're tearing down the statues all over. Thomas Jefferson now has to go because the city council's Black, Latino, and Asian caucus. Okay, there's, it's another committee. Another committee that segregates itself by race. That we're the black, Latino, and Asian. You know what that means? No white people allowed in this caucus. So these are a bunch of racists. And by the way, it was racism that led to slavery. And the holding of black men as slaves, black men and women as slaves. It was because of racism. And now these people are racists. <laughs> they keep the white guys out of their club and they want to tear down the statues of Thomas Jefferson because they're calling him a racist anyway they released a statement the committee did so that it wouldn't actually be attributable to any individual person and they said let's see what does the city council's black latino and asian caucus their statement says quote this administration owes it to the more than five million new yorkers of color our members past present and future represent to 
resolve that the individuals memorialized within the confines of our people's house be reflective not only of the best traditions of our city's history and its diversity, but its unquestionable character. Unquote. So I don't know that what that said means anything at all. What is diversity and unquestionable character of New York City? Unquestionable character? Okay. (laughs) I'm not not sure what that might entail. But uh, anyway, the statue of Thomas Jefferson is going to be removed and they're going to, well, they don't know what they're going to do with it. They don't know what to do with the statue of Thomas Jefferson, but they know that it makes them very uncomfortable. I guess they'll put it somewhere where they don't have to look at it. And then they'll erect a memorial to unquestionable character. I'm not sure how that will be symbolized in it, but they'll come up with a statue. By the way, Thomas Jefferson, he was a slaveholder. Yes, he was a slaveholder. And you know what? We need to acknowledge that. We need to remember that so that we don't end up with slavery again. But no, the Black, Latino, and Asian caucus wants to segregate itself by race, defining itself as racist, and now they want to tear down the statues. And so my prediction is that these same forces will eventually legalize slavery again in New York City. So something needs to stop these maniacs. Somebody needs to save these people from themselves. And the only person who can do it is Jesus Christ. He's the only one. And so those of us who know Jesus Christ and have a relationship with him, we have an obligation to tell our neighbors that only Jesus Christ can save you from this dementia, that we are, we're in a death spiral into a thousand years of darkness if these people are not made aware of the fact that Jesus Christ is the only one who can help them. I hope you will use your voice and your feet and your hands to go out and tell people that Jesus Christ is the only thing that can help them. And Jesus Christ can help them with everything. We'll continue to say that here at KGOV.com and on KLT at Bob and Yart Live for as long as you want us to. So the show will go on as long as you decide that it will go on. So we need your help to stay on the air. So you could go to KGOV.com and you can buy one of everything. I suggest that you subscribe to Bob's monthly Bible study. I've been listening to it for about 20 years. And it has helped me to understand the Bible and to more effectively communicate the gospel to my neighbors than any other biblical resource I've ever come in contact with in my entire life. I would posit that Bob Enyart was the greatest Bible teacher of his generation. I don't think there was another man walking around on the face of the earth who understood the Bible and communicated it better than Bob Enyart. And that legacy exists, and you can subscribe to it, and you can get every month some of the greatest Bible teaching that was ever exposited by a human being. So I want to encourage you to do that or to make a monthly donation. It really helps us if you help us monthly. We appreciate a one-time donation, especially if it's six figures or more. That's great. Five figures are nice. Six are better if you want to do a one-time. But what you can do monthly, you only have to do two to four figures a month, and you can help us to stay on the air. So please do that. Now let's go and talk about I have an analogy that I use when talking about child killing, and I have often said that just because you're against killing children, that doesn't necessarily make you a good person. I mean, that's like saying I'm against stomping on puppies, or I'm against setting kittens on fire. 
Okay, well, that doesn't really necessarily mean you're such a great person. You might be qualified to be admitted into the family of man, but you're not necessarily a good person just because you're against killing babies. Because killing babies is a horrible, awful thing. And it should be an offense to all of us that this is being allowed to occur amongst our neighbors and in our neighborhoods. It should be an offense to us that motivates us daily to work against it and to speak against it and to where we can to fight against it. It should be something that makes us all upset. But what I think is going to probably be one of the driving stories over this next news cycle, whatever the news cycle is now, it's 45 seconds, I don't know, a week, is going to be this puppy story. Congressmen are demanding answers from Anthony Fauci because Anthony Fauci funded an experiment to lock beagles in cages in the desert for nine consecutive nights to use them as bait to attract infectious sand flies so that a drug could be developed. So anyway, Anthony Fauci funded an experiment that was cruel to puppies. And so that's going to freak everybody out. This might be the thing that finally makes people turn against Anthony Fauci. It won't be his participation in the use of humanized mice. And you know what that is, folks? If you don't know, that's mice that have human fetal tissue. The bodies of human beings are grafted onto the mice to make the mice's physiology behave more human-like. And the body parts are from murdered children, little babies that were murdered and their bodies were chopped up and sold on the open market. And then the tissues are grafted into mice. And Anthony Fauci is like the chief Frankenstein freak scientist in America who's been making humanized mice so that we can develop drugs and vaccines. And that doesn't seem to offend the political class much at all. Or any of the people. I mean, they just get in line to get the shot. They don't seem to be offended at all. But now that they've heard a story that Anthony Fauci funded an experiment that locked the beagles' heads in a cage and the sandflies basically ate the dogs' heads alive. So that might be enough to shock people, but not the murder of innocent children. That doesn't seem to... No, no one seems to bat an eye. Well, I'll tell you what. This idea of murdering children and then utilizing their body parts for scientific experiments, it offends God. And God is going to judge that with a furious judgment. So certain things offend God to a certain degree. So it, it offends God when any of his children hurt one another. But when they murder his children, that offends God in an extreme degree. And so when the judgment comes, it's going to be a rain down like hellfire, damnation, and fury, and it's going to be a ferocious judgment for the murder of the innocent children. And so the being mean to puppies part, well, that's an offense to God too. But it was the murder of innocent children that should have offended you. It should have woken you up. But killing an innocent child in America today is as pedestrian as having a tooth pulled or going to a job interview or crossing the street. And that's a shame. We'll go to Washington, D.C., where there's an assistant police chief there named Chanel Dickerson. And she's part of a class action lawsuit against the Washington, D.C. Police Department. And in testimony related to this lawsuit, she said 
that when she became pregnant as a young police cadet, she was told by management that if she wanted to keep her job, she would have to have an abortion. If she wanted to keep her job, she would have to kill her child. And so she did so. And now she's suing management at the D.C. Police Department because they made her get an abortion to keep her job. So this harkens back to something we talked about yesterday. How important is a job to you? Is it worth participating in a humiliation ritual? Is it worth killing another human being? Wow. That's shocking. I I don't know if I can pass judgment on the credibility of the lawsuit and all the ins and outs of all this. I think it's tragic that this woman killed her child to get a job as a as a law enforcement officer it's it's really twisted and sick right in order to become someone who enforces the law you have to murder another human being that's just a very dark irony that's painful to comprehend and so i i want to give advice to young women and it's the advice i give to my i have given to my daughters i have three daughters and the advice I've given to them is that a young woman would be wise to seek a husband and not a career. I know that offends a lot of people. I'm sorry if I've offended you, but people are probably sliding off the freeway into the side, freaking out. What did you say? Women should. Well, that's my advice. If you're a, wo- a young woman out there, it, you should seek a husband and not a career. And it's not because you're not as good as men. That's not why. It's because you're more noble. As a woman, you possess certain gifts that should not be squandered on something as pedestrian as earning a living. That would just be a sad state for you. You, you have so much more potential than just going to work. So please, young ladies, aspire to something so much more lovely and beautiful and so much more in line with what God wants for you. C.S. Lewis, by the way, who's a much smarter man than I am, he said that the homemaker has the ultimate career, right? And all other careers exist with one purpose, to support the ultimate career which is to make a home and to raise children. And so please, and, and by the way, you'll, you'll never have to kill another human being at the insistence of management. And you'll never have to live with the guilt and the shame of all that. If you first seek God, then it will, I think, become apparent to you that you should seek a husband and not a career. I hope so. That's what I hope for my daughters. That's what I hope for my daughters. So now let's go to the government schools. We could call this reason number 1,218 to get or keep your children out of the government schools, but I don't know that it really is that. It is an article. I saw this article on one of the right-wing alternative news sites that I frequent. I I don't do the Drudge Report anymore. I've been off the Drudge for a year and a half. Ever since he participated in the hysteria that led to the COVID, all of that. 
He participated in that. It was shameful. He should have been arrested. Now I go to a number of other right-wing alternative news sites. One of them is called the Liberty Daily. An article there by J.D. Rucker talks about the government schools. J.D. Rucker says that there are millions of American families who have no choice but to send their children to the public schools. And so I have to stop right there, J.D., and, and you're just wrong about that. It's not that they have no choice. You're being far too gracious. And Mr. Rucker, it's far too late in the day to be gracious about this. Maybe in 1980, we could get, extend some grace to parents about having no choice but to send their kids to public schools. Maybe. But not now. So uh, anyway, he goes on. He says, any parent with the means should not under any circumstances put their children in the government schools. So, Mr. Rucker, do you understand what you just said? You just said any parent with the means should not under any circumstances put their kids in the government schools. I think what you mean, Mr. Rucker, is that no parent under any circumstance should be putting their kids in the government schools. That's what you, that's what you need to say, Mr. Rucker. And he does say it, but he still feels the obligation to dress it up in some protective statement about well if if you can have if you have the means it's it's far too late in the day for that mr rucker parents need to be shaken and woken up and and they need to be told that under no circumstances anyway he goes on to say that uh, today's government funded educators have taken it upon themselves to raise our children Mr. Rucker, the parents have also decided to allow the government to raise their children. It's not just the government. I mean, I understand that it's very fashionable for right-wing conservatives to be angry at the government and to blame the government. But at some point, we can't blame the government for all this. At some point, it's our fault. We're the ones sending our kids into the public schools. I mean, not me. I never did. And I just want to say... The only reason I never sent my kids into public schools was because when I was young, I met a group of people who told me, don't do that. And then they showed me by not doing that with their kids. <laughs> so they didn't just talk the talk. They were walking the walk. And then, so we did the same thing. We kept our kids out of the government schools. And, and I encourage you to do that, too. Mr. Rucker goes on, and, and, and he quotes Je Jenna Ellis, who I don't know. She's from Colorado. I don't know much about her. Uh, Wikipedia seems to hate her. It's just brutal, the write-up they have. So she must be at least uh, someone I would uh, agree with on, on most things if Wikipedia hates her that much. <laughs> anyway, she says in a tweet, as long as you send your children to government-funded schools, you will always co-parent with the government. And so anyway, Jenna, 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 and Mr. Rucker, Mr. Rucker, please. So, folks, this is why we lost the culture war is because our side missed the point most of the time. Jenna, you're not co-parenting with the government. If you hand your children over to the government schools, the government is parenting. Your whatever influence you have has been far is way below co-parents, way below co-parent when you hand your kid over to government school for eight hours a day. Anyway, Mr. Rucker, finally, he says the only way to prevent our children from being brainwashed is to stop sending them. It's not an easy path, he says, but if a way can be found, parents should do whatever it takes. 
So that's what you need to be saying, Mr. Rucker. Just be straight up with us about it. You need to be willing to do whatever it takes, and that might mean sacrificing something. Like maybe you can't buy the bigger house. Maybe you can't drive the newer car. Maybe you can't eat ribeye twice a week. Maybe you have to eat rice and refried beans. Anyway, it might mean that you might even have to be uncomfortable sometimes. But Mr. Rucker makes a great point. Parents should do whatever it takes to find the path to keep your kids out of the government schools. It might take being uncomfortable. Yes. Uh, but is that such a is that so terrifying to everyone being uncomfortable? It seems to me that that actually terrifies people. You know, we come from generations before us, people who worried about starving to death and freezing to death in the winter. That was their concerns. We're afraid of being uncomfortable. We all need to be prepared to make sacrifices that might make us uncomfortable for the good of other people. That's called love. So if you love your children, you should be prepared to make a sacrifice for them. That's honorable and it's noteworthy. And God will reward you for that. And and he'll reward you in this life and in the life to come. And it's in the life to come that is more important. That's, that's another thing we need to keep in our minds, is that we're here for a very, very short period of time. And then we're going to be off in eternity forever. For the rest of forever. So that's much more important. But I will tell you that I have experienced rewards from God in my life for whatever sacrifices I made early on to keep my kids and home, homeschool my kids. And not just that, but to raise my children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. So it's not just reading, writing, and arithmetic, by the way. And you'll receive rewards in this life and the next. They may not be material. And you might be a little bit uncomfortable, but trust me, it's worth it. Meanwhile, we go uh, uh, from there we go into the, the bad medicine file uh, from over at the Weekly Worldview, which will return next week. A Pfizer whistleblower. Did we need a whistleblower? Anyway, it turns out that the use of fetal tissue in the vaccines... Not that there was ever any doubt, but there's now evidence that the management at Pfizer actually wanted to at least reduce as much as possible the visibility of the fact that they were using the body parts of murdered children to develop the vaccines. There's an email from a Pfizer senior director of whatever. We want to avoid having the information on fetal cells floating around out there with the public who may take this information and use it in ways that we may not want. Ways like Bob Enyart did, who said, hey, they've used aborted children to make these vaccines. And so I'm not going to get this vaccine because I don't want them doing this anymore. And so we should all call attention to this. And I'll, I'll link this article on the... Anyway, the... the I don't want to get into the specific fetal cell line. This... The 293 T-cells obtained from the kidney cells of what the article calls a female fetus in 1973, what I'll just call a female, obtained from the kidney cells of a female in 1973. The PERC6 cell line derived from human embryonic retinal cells, originally from the retinal tissue of an 18-week-old, the article says fetus. I'll just say an 18-week-old person. 
an 18-week-old person whose body parts were taken from him in 1985 when he was murdered. The use of aborted fetal cells in vaccine production has been going on for my entire life, about 50 years, starting in the 1970s. And so many of the drugs and vaccines that are produced now and will be produced are going to be tainted with this. And so I'm thankful that Pastor Bob stood up and and called attention to this and demanded that they stop doing this. I pray that those of us in the body of Christ will be able to come together and stand up against this and speak out against it. And wherever and whenever we have the opportunity to fight against it and where we can to not participate in it. Uh, Take a cue from, from Pastor Bob who took his cue from Jesus Christ and the living God, the creator of the universe. And I hope that you will all, as you go forward into the week, continue to do right and risk the consequences.